Luke chapter 6 in our Bibles this morning, Luke 6, verses 12 through 19. You may have noticed in the bulletin the title for today's message is The Call of the Twelve. So Jesus Christ is calling his disciples, and here he's going to choose twelve. Although these were not the only disciples, they weren't the only ones who followed the Lord, but they they would now accompany him for about three and a half years on his earthly ministry. So let's start in verse 12 of Luke chapter 6. And it came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called unto him his disciples... And of them he chose twelve, whom also he named apostles. Simon, whom he also named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon called Zelotes, and Judas, the brother of James, and Judas Iscariot, which also was the traitor. And he came down with them and stood in the plain and, and the company of his disciples and a great multitude of people out of all Judea and Jerusalem and from the sea coast of Tyre and Sidon which came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And they that were vexed with unclean spirits and they were healed and the whole multitude sought to touch him for there went virtue out of him and healed them all. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, We're so thankful today that we can um, bow before thee and pray and ask for thy help in the ministry of the word of God. So I pray for the help of the Holy Spirit today in bringing forth this message from the word of God. Father, we just sang, where he leads, I'll follow. I pray that that would be the desire and the determination of every believer in our midst today. Again, Lord, there are many that were not able to be here today. We ask you to... Um, watch over them, and I know that some are traveling. Uh, just watch over them, dear God, and may their hearts and their minds and their thoughts and their prayers be with us even this, even now. And those who are listening uh, via the phone and those who will listen uh, through sermon audio, I pray that the Word of God would do its work in their hearts as well as ours. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when I contemplate the reasons... For our dear Lord Jesus Christ coming into the world, there's one Bible verse that always comes to my mind, and that is Luke 19.10. That could be the theme verse, not only for the book of Luke, but for Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, really for the whole New Testament. And it says this, For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. And I also thought, if there is one word that aptly describes the human race or that even describes the people around us in this shop and area, it is that word lost. You know, people are lost. And, and uh, somebody said they're lost as a coon in a hailstorm. Uh, Pastor friend in North Dakota, that was one of his favorite sayings. Uh, they're lost as a coon in a hailstorm. I guess that's pretty lost. I, anyway. Um, you know, somebody, you know, anyway, um, they're lost. They're lost. People are lost, all right? We need to understand that. As you go about your day, whatever that might be, if you're driving around or you're working or you're sitting in your 
living room or you're sitting on the porch and you can see people go by, just think about that. They're lost. And we need to pray for them. We need to seek to reach them with the gospel. Now, go keep your place. Again, Luke with, with Luke 19.10, I know that's not our text for today, but really this is why Jesus did everything on earth. He did it to seek and to save that which was lost and even the calling of his disciples. Um, he did that with the lost in view that he might train them to go and to preach the gospel. But keep your place in Luke 6 and go back to Ezekiel for just a moment. Um, Ezekiel chapter 34. I love the um, evangelistic passages in the prophets in the Old Testament. And here's one of them. Now Ezekiel is looking forward uh, to the earthly ministry of Christ. He's also looking forward to the millennium. Um, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel all had a lot to say about the millennium. I'm just about, just about finished. I'm reading a book um, by Dr. David Jeremiah called The Book of Signs, and it's all about the, the signs for the second coming. I'm reading through the part about the millennium, and uh, he talks in there, and, and I, agree, I believe the same thing, that if there is no millennium, then we've got to throw away about two-thirds of the Old Testament because it's all about the millennium. And so in Ezekiel 34, look at what it says there in verse 11, For thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I, even I, will both search my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd seeketh out of his flock in the day that he is among his sheep that are scattered, so will I seek out my sheep and will deliver them out of all places where they have been scattered in the cloudy and dark day. And of course that's referring to Israel being dispersed through all the world. And I will bring them out from the people and gather them from the countries and will bring them to their own land and feed them upon the mountains of Israel by the rivers and in all the inhabited places of the country. And I will, I will feed them in a good pasture and upon the high mountains of Israel shall their fold be. There shall they lie in a good fold and in a fat pasture shall they feed upon the mountains of Israel. Now that's again talking about the millennium. When Isaiah talks about how the truth of God will flow out from Jerusalem and all nations will come to hear it. That's what he's talking about. He's not talking so much about grass and water. Literally, he's talking about the spiritual feeding that he will do. Verse 15, I will feed my flock and I will cause them to lie down, saith the Lord God. Sounds like Psalm 23. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. I will seek. Here it is, verse 16. I will seek that which was lost and bring again that which was driven away and will bind up that which was broken and will strengthen that which was sick. But I will destroy the fat and the strong. I will feed them with judgment. Of course, that's talking about the Pharisees and all those people, all of the enemies of the Lord. So with that in mind, let's go back to Luke chapter 6. And we're going to take a look at, at three things regarding our Lord Jesus Christ in this passage. Number one, a consecrated prayer. A consecrated prayer. In verse 12 of Luke 6. And the Bible says, And it came to pass in those days, that is, in the midst of his serving, in the midst of his traveling, 
Um, in the midst of his preaching, in the midst of his healing, in the midst of training his disciples, that's all important to understand in the context. He got away, right? And, and it came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God, right? So Jesus felt the need of prayer. He understood his own need of prayer. Now, probably part of that was that he was about to choose the 12. He was about to really launch his ministry, if you will. And so he prayed for the, for the wisdom of God. For Jesus said, often I came not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. And so he's seeking to do the will of his Father. So three things I want us to think about regarding this prayer. And number one, and there's an application to us. Number one, it was a there was a place of prayer. He went out into a mountain, went on a hill. Obviously, number one, he did that so he could get away from everything. And the question is today, how about you? Do you have a place of prayer? Do you have your mountain, so to speak, where you can go and pray to God without interruption, without distractions? And I don't know about you, in the day of cell phones, and I'm sorry, but if this bothers anybody, I shut my phone off when I go to prayer. In fact, I get out of it, I get, I get where there is no phone. I don't want that phone to ring. I mean, I don't care if it rings, I'm just not going to answer it. Or the house phone, or the cell phone, or the computer, or anything like that. Um, I, I, we need to follow the example of Christ. We need to get away, all right? We are not that important, all right? And if somebody wants to get a hold of us, if it's important, they'll call back, all right? Anyway, so we need to be with the Lord. We need to spend time with God. We need to have a place of prayer where nothing can get to you, all right? And that's very, very important. The preachers used to preach about having a family altar where you would go and set aside that place and that time for prayer. Jesus did that. Right? In Mark, it talks about him getting up early before, before the dawn to go out to pray. Here he prays all night to God. Right? And I, I just think that um, with all the things that we have to complain about and all the things that we're distressed about, I really don't see too many people spending more time in prayer. And that's probably the reason that things are not getting any better. Now I know people pray, and I'm sure that there were millions of Christians praying for the overturn of that abortion decision. But you know what? Yes, we should pray for things like that. We also ought to pray for our unsafe family members. And we also ought to pray for the community here and the people that are lost, all right? And really pray for things that really, really matter. So he went out there, so there was a place of prayer but then secondly, there was a pursuit of God. Notice he continued all night in prayer to God, his Father. And he, we could say a lot about that. But let's remember that above everything else, prayer is communing with our God. And so he did that. Now keep your place once again in Acts 6, and, I mean Luke 6, and go to Acts 6. A purposeful prayer. 
I wanted to add that, a purposeful prayer. Um, I get things in the mail all the time, not as many as I used to because I don't respond to them, about how to guarantee church growth and double your attendance and all these things. And if you'll do our program, it's guaranteed. And so um, in Acts chapter 6, and I mentioned that um, uh, praying without distraction, I mentioned last week Bible school, there were no distractions, no dissensions, no problems, no, you know, nothing like that. So we could concentrate on the business at hand and appreciate that. And, but here in Acts chapter 6, there was a potential distraction, a huge one. Verse chapter 6 of Acts, verse 1. And in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied. Okay, so you know what's happening. The day of Pentecost, 3,000 saved. Um, chapter 4, multitudes. Chapter 5, multitudes. The thousands, thousands and thousands of people. And so it's estimated that the church in Jerusalem may have had 20,000 people by this time. And so in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplied, so it was a time of multiplication, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. So in other words, there was giving out, nothing wrong with giving out food, clothing, help those in the church. Acts 4 talks about that. Acts 2, they had all things common. They helped people in need. But then the word came to the apostles, all right, that there was a complaining going on. By the way, the Bible says God never likes it when his people complain. But anyway, so the 12, <clears throat> they, got, they, held, they held a special business meeting. In verse 2, the 12 called the multitude of the disciples unto them. They said, it is not reason. In other words, it's not reasonable. It's not logical that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. So you see, there was a, there was a surface problem. Then there was the real problem, right? The surface problem was there was contention between the Grecians, that is the Gentile-based people, and the Hebrews or the Israelite people because the Greek widows were being neglected. The Hebrews were being favored. The Grecians were being neglected. And so that's the problem that was apparent, right? That was the apparent problem. But there was another problem. Underneath that was a satanic attempt to distract the apostles from ministering the word of God, from doing what is most important. And so they said, this is not right. This is not right. It doesn't make sense. And so they said this, wherefore, brethren, verse three, look ye out among you. In other words, find, look, the word look here means to diligently seek, um, <clears throat> Among you, seven men. So here's what, here's what you need to do, congregation. Find seven men, honest men, honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And so the, the apostles were very, very... Uh, brilliant here. They were very, very, very wise. And they said, look, this is not our job, all right? And a pastor has a right to say that. You know, it's not my job. <coughs> not my job to wait on tables, all right? 
It's not my job to hand out food, to give out clothing. Here's the job of the rule of the leaders of the church, the pastor, the apostles. We will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And now I understand when we started our church of necessity, I had to have a second job, and that's okay. In fact, the Lord used that over the years. But you know what? When I when I the church got to the point where they could fully support us, the first thing I thought of is I have time to think now. <laughs> time to think. And so praise the Lord for that. So because that's biblical. And so the Bible says here, the same pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had, they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. That is, they commissioned them to the work. Notice the result. And the word of God increased. And the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. And a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. Those old hard-hearted Jewish priests. But notice they solved the problem. They dealt with the real issue. And the devil is so subtle. He will do everything he can to undermine the ministry of the word of God. And I, and I really think in our society today... Um, the devil has gotten people so caught up in this taking care of the poor, right? You know, um, and there's so many programs. And we, we had a call this week. They wanted me to go take care of somebody. And my wife said to me, what should I say? I said, well, you know, let them, let them know. First of all, they went to another church. And she said to this lady, did you call your own pastor? Well, no. Well, why not? Why would you call us? Call them. That's your, if that's your church, talk to your people, all right? And then she said there's a lot of agencies. What they were looking for was somebody to provide everything free for this individual, okay? That's not our job, all right? That's not the job of the church. That's not the job of the pastor to provide free stuff, right? I could write a book on all the calls that we've gotten over the years. You know, this, the, our, the church is not a welfare a welfare. Association. We're not a welfare society, okay? Now, the Bible says that we, we do have a responsibility to one another. See, our responsibility is not to feed and clothe the world. Our responsibility is to pray for them and take them the word of God. Then if they get saved and become part of the fold, if they need help. See, the Bible says we're to help particularly, specially, those who are of the household of faith, right? And so these men, these seven men, which really was the forerunner to deacons, who are to be the responsible over the physical aspect of the church, that were these seven men. Of course, Stephen, you remember him, he ended up being martyred, put stoned to death for preaching the gospel. And this Philip is the one who became known as Philip the Evangelist. So God kind of graduated these men to a more urgent ministry, a more important ministry of the word of God. Right? So anyway, that's so so by so the a purposeful prayer, a prayer for the furtherance of the word of God. And because of the, the, the decision they made, and because these seven men were willing to take on this responsibility, the apostles were freed to continue the prayer and the ministry of the word. All right, Luke chapter 6, let's go back there. Second this morning, the call of the 12. Obviously, very, very important. 
very important. Uh, Luke 6. Um, <clears throat> and when it was day, see, when the day came and Jesus was done praying, I just love that, um, he let nothing stop him from praying. When it was day, he called unto him his disciples. So there were more. By the way, what is a disciple? Disciple is a, is a student or a learner. But I want you to notice something in this verse that's very important also. There's another word introduced in this verse in Luke 6, 12, 13. And when it was day, he called unto him his disciples, and of them he chose 12, whom he also named apostles. Right? So apostle is the result of disciple. Right? For because a disciple is one who's learning, one who is sitting under the ministry of a teacher. And when we get further in Luke chapter 6, we're going to see the, the intended outcome of discipleship or disciple making. Right? But notice these 12 whom he also called apostles. Now the word apostle means one sent. So Jesus already named these 12 apostles and they understood. We read a couple weeks ago about him calling Levi or Matthew, follow me. And Matthew rose up, left everything and followed the Lord. The same thing happened with Peter and Andrew and James, John, so on. So when Jesus called these men, they understood what he meant. He, they, he, they knew he meant I'm calling you away from whatever you were doing, okay? In the case of Levi, it was a tax collector. In the case of uh, Peter and Andrew, it was fishermen. James and John, fishermen, okay? One of them was a politician. We're going to see that here in just a moment. So he called them apostles. So the point is, you're going to be my disciples. I'm going to train you, but you're also going to be my apostles. I'm going to send you, all right? So Simon whom he also surnamed Peter, which means stone, and Andrew, his brother, James and John. Now we learned from John's gospel that James and John were also brothers. They were the sons of Zebedee, Philip and Bartholomew, not the same Philip in Acts chapter 6 we just read about, Matthew and Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon called Zelotes, or Simon the Zealot. Simon was part of a political party that was bent on overthrowing Rome. Okay? Jesus picked him on purpose. Not because he wanted to overthrow Rome, but to let him know that that wasn't, what, that wasn't the important thing. And I, can I just say, uh, it really bothers me, these Christians who are advocating overthrowing the government and having a revolution and all those kind of things. God didn't call us to do that. We need to revolt. We need to do a revolution spiritually and get people saved and, and grow, grow up a group of people to stand for the Lord. Then you have Judas, the brother of James, and Judas Iscariot, whom, who also, which also was a traitor. Now, let me just make a comment. Judas and James were brothers, they were Mary and Joseph's sons. James, or Judas rather, is more uh, better known as Jude. He wrote the book of Jude, and James here wrote the book of James. Right? And then, of course, Judas Iscariot, which also was the traitor. Now, let me just, I want to share something with you. 
Um, whatever happened to these 12, all right? Well, let's see. Simon Peter became the spokesman. He preached on the day of Pentecost. Acts 2. Jesus had said, I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And, and that was, he got, he was the one who, you know what, keys are to open a door, but keys also start an engine. And it was Peter was given the privilege of launching, if you will, the New Testament church. He's the first one to publicly preach the gospel. Jesus told him in John 21 he would follow the Lord in the same kind of death, and Peter died by crucifixion. Andrew, he brought Peter to Christ, according to John 1, 41-42. Andrew's the one who brought a lad's lunch to Jesus, used to feed the 5,000, John 6. Church history records that he preached in various parts of the world. After refusing to sacrifice to heathen gods in Achaia, which is where Corinth was, he was scourged and crucified. He lived for two days on the cross, praising God and exhorting the spectators to embrace or adhere to the faith. So for two days, Andrew hung on the cross and preached the gospel. Number two, James and John, sons of Zebedee. James was the first one to suffer martyrdom, according to Acts 12. John is known as the beloved disciple. After faithfully serving God for many years, he was exiled to Patmos where he wrote the book of Revelation. He lived the longest of the twelve, dying around A.D. 100. Philip and Bartholomew. Philip brought Nathaniel to Christ, John 1.45. He was not the same man as Philip the evangelist. He was martyred in Hierapolis by crucifixion. And Hierapolis was between Colossae and Laodicea. Bartholomew, probably another name for Nathaniel. It is said that he reached India and then was martyred by being placed into a sack and thrown into the sea. Matthew and Thomas. Matthew was also called Levi. He was a publican. He wrote the Gospel of Matthew. He preached in Judea for 12 to 15 years, then went to four nations. Nothing is known about his death. Thomas, known as Doubting Thomas. Didymus means twin. He later did missionary work in India and was martyred when he returned to his home in Israel, believed to have been killed by a lance. James and Simon. James, known as James the Less because of his lack of height. He served the Lord, then was martyred in Jerusalem by stoning. Simon, called Zelotes, to distinguish him from Simon Peter, before Jesus called him to be a disciple, he was a zealot, part of a radical political party which advocated the overthrow of Rome by violence. Not much is known about his life and ministry. Judas, also known as Labaius, whose surname was Thaddeus, brother of James, ministered in Egypt, where he was martyred by being dragged through the streets and buried in Egypt. Judas Iscariot, Iscariot means from Kerioth, his home village. Always mentioned last in any list of disciples, always with some designation of shame or disgrace, never referred to Jesus as Lord, hung himself after betraying Jesus. So that's just a little recap of these 12 um, and what they did for the Lord. And so most of them were martyred. Most of them died for their faith and for their ministry. All except John. They tried. And one, one note about John, they, they, put, they took John and threw him into a big vat of boiling oil. And that did not harm him. He came out unscathed. And so 
they put him on the island of Patmos, which was an exile island way out in the middle of nowhere where they put people they didn't want to hear from anymore. And they figured, well, that's, we're done with him. Of course, it was on even Patmos that John wrote the book of Revelation and went on to minister and praise the Lord for that. All right, Luke 16, we got one more thing. A compassionate ministry. Verse 17, he came down with them. And like that, by the way, Mark chapter 3, the same passage or the same incident, the Bible says he chose 12 that they might be with him. They might be with him. So, And he came down with them. And so from this point on, Jesus and his disciples are together day and night for about three and a half years. And he stood in the plain and the company of his disciples and a great multitude of people out of all Judea and Jerusalem from the sea coast of Tyre and Sidon which came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. So notice the scope of the ministry was multitudes came and they came from all over. This is a widespread area. Um, but notice that it's interesting that they did, yes, they came to be healed, but that wasn't the first thing. And this kind of stood out to me this week in preparing this message. They came to hear him. So they, everybody wanted to hear Jesus teach and preach. And as he did that, the Bible says in several places, there went a fame of him. And the word began to circulate. Hey, nobody's ever preached like this man. And so everywhere he went, thousands came and thronged about him to hear the word of God. And yes, to be healed if they had things they needed to heal of. Verse 18, it was, it was a successful ministry. And they that were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed, and the whole multitude sought to touch him. For there went virtue out of him and healed them all. You know, there's only a couple places that this word is translated virtue. You know, everywhere else is translated power or might. In fact, it is the Greek word dunamis from where we get our English word dynamite or dynamo. And it's talking about supernatural power to heal. All right? And so Jesus had that. You know, the Bible says in Romans 1.16 that I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power, it is the dunamis, it is the dynamite of God to salvation, to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also um, to the Greek. And so one of the keys, obviously, in this passage of Scripture is the <clears throat> fact that Jesus called the twelve. Um, he called his disciples um, to follow him and to, that he might train them and that they might do the work. And, and you know, and as we go through the book of Luke, we're going to see many examples of, of Jesus teaching them. In fact, uh, next, uh, whenever we come back to Luke, I'm not sure yet what we're going to do next week, if I'm going to preach on liberty or if I'm going to go continue in Luke. But the very next verse in Luke 6 says, he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, so here, here are some specific times of teaching for his disciples. In a couple chapters, we're going to see the Lord sending them out. Um, and they weren't ready. <laughs> they were not. But, he, but that's okay. Jesus sent them out. I remember going to Bible college and we had a small school. I think there was, there was never more than 40 students. 
in the school all the while that Jan and I were there. And yet what they did for us is they sent us out. I mean, there was required service, all right? And um, we, we would go out. We had to go Tuesday. Tuesday night was men's visitation. I think Saturday morning was ladies' visitation. So all the students had to go. They were required. We were required. And we had opportunity. My wife had, and her friend Bev at Bible school, they had a joy club, which is kind of like a good news club. Um, four of us, me and a couple, three other guys, we went to a town about 60 miles away to try to reopen, re- restart a church that was closed. We had opportunity to teach Sunday school um, one Friday a month. Uh, we had chapel every day. One Friday a month was student chapel. And so a student played the piano, a student led singing, students did special music, and a student preached. Okay? And so that's, that, was the, that was the whole thing about that school was to train people to serve God and following the model of Jesus when he was on the earth. Okay? He gave them many opportunities to teach what they were learning. Okay, brother, you've learned a lot, right? <laughs> yeah, that's, somebody said one time the best way to learn is to teach. Then we have people, oh, I'm not a teacher. How do you know you're not? <laughs> you know, you ever try? But anyway, you know, but here's the, here, so coming to a conclusion here. I think, by the way, thank God. The things that God knew, I had no idea where I'd end up. But the things that, that I learned at that little Bible college, I, I, do, I do them every day to this very day. The only thing I didn't do that I wish I would have done, I never took piano. I wish, I, of course, I had no idea, but um, but I wish I would have done that anyway. But but the, the little school prepared us for ministry. Thank God for that. But here's a question: Are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? That's kind of a trick question because again, I've heard this silly debate, and it is silly. It's ridiculous. Can you be a Christian without being a disciple? And I understand what they're saying, but no, you can't, all right? You cannot. You're a disciple whether you want to be or not. If you're a Christian, you're a disciple. You might be a bad disciple, but you're a disciple. In fact, in the book of Acts, believers were called disciples. You notice that in Acts 6 when the number of the disciples was increased? In fact, Acts 11, 26, the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. And by the way, it wasn't, it wasn't a complimentary term. Their enemies labeled them Christians. Just like Baptists, we didn't pick that name. Historically, our enemies labeled us Baptists because we dunk people, all right? So anyway, so but, but everybody who was a believer was called a disciple. In fact, it says in here that he called his disciples Acts 6, they, the, the 12 called the multitude of disciples. So everybody was a disciple. Right? Are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? Did you know that just by being here today, you are performing one of the roles of a disciple? Namely, sitting under the teaching of God's word. One of the purposes for learning is to take what you learn and share it with those who don't know. Simply put, that is what disciple-making is about. As we continue through the book of Luke, we will have several opportunities to sit at Jesus' feet, so to speak, and we'll see how he taught and how he trained his disciples, all right? 
Now, my closing challenge to you is something that I remind us of constantly. And that is for you, everybody, everybody who's saved in this room has, can do this, to find somebody to minister to. And I mean an unsaved somebody. All right? Somebody who doesn't know the Lord. Somebody who doesn't come to church to minister right, and to help them Share the gospel with them, right? And I, I pray, I pray for, for, for everybody here and others as well, every day that the Lord will just motivate you to do that, to start doing something for the Lord. Reach out to somebody. We've got all kinds of ways. There's letters and there's phone and there's, there's email, there's internet, there's texting. There's all kinds of ways, Facebook, you know, all kinds of ways to reach out. And so we need to do that. And I need to keep doing that. We all need to do that. And so may the Lord help us. May, we, may the Lord give us some disciples that really take seriously the privilege of reaching out for the Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this time we can have in the word of God. And Lord, you, you, have, you could have chosen any number of ways to get the word out. I know for, for a fact that there are myriads of angels who would love to take the word of God. And sometimes they do. But Lord, you have chosen us as feeble as we are. Help us, Lord, to be strong in the Lord, the power of his might. Help us to be witnesses. Help us to be ambassadors. Help us to be good disciples, Lord. Send us. Lord, help us to reach somebody. It might be a co-worker. It might be a relative. It might be a neighbor. But Father, help us. And again, we pray for those precious boys and girls that were here this week. This past week, help us to reach them. Help us to reach the parents with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord, to be true disciples. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, number 394. In our hymn books, let's stand, please. 394. It really is in the area, and we're going to emphasize it one thing today. The challenge of look, finally seeking somebody. You know, Jesus said, when we read that verse, or I mentioned that verse where Jesus said, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. He's not here to do that anymore in body. We're here. And Jesus said to his disciples, you're the salt of the earth, you're the light of the world. And so I'm challenging you today, our hymn is, I surrender all. Or how many would surrender and say, you know, this the pastor's been challenging us for years, and I haven't done anything about it. Um, but I want to, starting today. Right? So if that's you, then praise the Lord for it. Make that commitment to the Lord. Uh, let's sing the first and the fourth stanzas. Um, I surrender all. Somebody said long ago, if you're not, if if I don't surrender all, I'm not surrendered at all. Right? Just think about that. All to Jesus I surrender, all to Him I freely give.
Jesus, I surrender. Lord, I give myself to Jesus Christ, we pray these things in his precious name. Amen. Amen.